Welcome to the HSD Podcast Series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Lamb, MBA, Mock Surveyor, and RN for Life Care Services. And we are continuing our discussion on the new FTAG numbering system and the regulations contained in each of these. Our goal is to help you fully understand the new FTAGs, especially now that the surveyors are using them during the survey process. Today, we're going to talk about F-689, which talks about keeping the environment free from accidents, hazards, and providing adequate supervision and assistance devices to prevent accidents. So welcome back, Jennifer. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for having me here. I'm looking forward to jumping in and talking about uh, F-689. Wonderful. So Jennifer, let's take a couple minutes and describe for our listeners what they can expect from this series of podcasts that we've been doing. Okay, absolutely. Um, We have been covering one F-tag per podcast to explain the 49 tags identified as substandard quality of care. Substandard quality of care is defined by CMS as having more than one deficiency related to participation requirements under resident behavior and facility practices, quality of life, and quality of care that constitute either immediate jeopardy to resident health and safety, a pattern of or widespread actual harm that is not immediate jeopardy, or a widespread potential for more than minimal harm, but less than immediate jeopardy with no actual harm. And we're using the State Operations Manual Appendix PP, Guidance to Surveyors for Long-Term Care Facilities, in order to provide for you the same information that the state surveyors use. And we feel it's the best tool that you can um, download and use and um, be prepared for when your state surveyors come in to do your survey. And we will also refer back to it, you know, often during the podcast. Wonderful. So Jennifer, when I'm looking at the changes between FTAG 689 and the former TAG, which was 323, the major difference is that 323 also included bed rails. But we know that bed rails has its own TAG right now under the new mem- under the new numbering system, and we're going to talk about that later in the series. So let's go ahead and define FTAG 689. Okay, sure thing. Um, F-689 says the facility must ensure that the resident environment remains as free of accident hazards as is possible, and each resident receives adequate supervision and assistance devices to prevent accidents. The intent of the regulation, then, is to ensure that the facility provides an environment that is free from accidents, hazards, over which the facility has control, and that they provide supervision and assistive devices to each resident to prevent any avoidable accident. And this could include identifying hazards and risks, evaluating and analyzing the hazards and risks, implementing interventions to reduce the hazards and risks, and monitoring for effectiveness and modifying those interventions when necessary. Yes, and the psalm lists several definitions for terms that are used such as avoidable and unavoidable accident, hazards, risk, environment, and position changing alarms. And we would encourage you to please refer to the psalm for those definitions. Yeah, back to that psalm because it has a lot of really good information in it. It's kind of like the open book test is what I like to call it. So we know what everybody's going to be looking at. Yeah, and we're and we're using the same definitions then too. So, so um, having said that, what is the most effective way for our communities to avoid accidents? 
Well, the best solution is to develop a culture of safety and have a commitment to implementing systems that address resident risk and environmental hazards. A facility with a commitment to safety, they do these following things. They acknowledge the high-risk nature of its population and setting. They develop effective communication, including a reporting system that does not place the blame on employees for reporting resident risk and environmental hazards. And they engage all staff, residents, and families in training on safety, and they promote ongoing discussions about safety. Well, I'd also like to add that a facility or with a commitment to safety also encourages the use of data to identify um, potential hazards, risks, and solutions related to specific safety issues, that they direct resources to address any safety concerns, and that they demonstrate a commitment to safety at all levels of the organization. Yes. The community must take a systems approach to identifying and addressing hazards and risks. The community must take a proactive stance on identifying these risks and evaluate resident needs in regard to supervision. And adding to what you just said then, Jennifer, that psalm again says the uh, system approach enables the facility to evaluate safety throughout its environment and among all staff and make appropriate adjustments in training and competency testing as required. So each resident or resident representative and their family members and representatives should be aware of the risks and the potential hazards related to falls and various devices used to reduce fall risk. Furthermore, a systematic approach enables the leadership and the direct care staff to work together to revise policies and procedures based on feedback from workers who are most familiar with the residents and the resident care processes. Exactly. And the steps that the facility should take to become aware of hazards and risks and to prevent avoidable injuries include identification of those hazards and risks, evaluation and analysis, implementation and intervention, monitoring and modifications, and supervision. Well, and it goes without saying that just because assistive devices such as positioning, changing alarms are put in place to temporarily monitor a resident's movement, but it does not eliminate the obligation to provide that adequate supervision. Absolutely right. Um, adequate supervision is vital. So one of the areas that's touched on in the regulation is resident-to-resident altercations. Previously, we've talked about that under the regulation that discusses abuse. If it's determined that the facility did not maintain an environment free of accidents and hazards, um, the facility can be cited under FTAC 689, correct? Yes, that is correct, Laura. Um, as stated in the psalm, it is important for the facility to take reasonable precautions, including adequate supervision, when the risk of resident-to-resident altercations is identified or should have been identified. And some of the identified risk factors may include a history of aggressive behaviors or behaviors that may be disruptive or annoy other residents. When looking at the interventions of supervisions, there are a few actions that we should look at. Um, first, evaluating the staffing levels to ensure adequate supervision. Two, evaluating staff assignments to ensure consistent staff who recognize changes in the resident's condition. Three, provide safe, supervised areas that are 
that um, have are for unrestricted movement. Um, four, eliminate or reduce underlying causes of distressed behavior, such as any kind of boredom or pain. And then finally, five, monitoring that environment, um, such as temperature and lighting and noises, because those also have influences. Absolutely. And staff should also have ongoing professional development education that include how to approach a resident who may be combative, aggressive, agitated or anxious. Yeah, that's really, really important. Um, Jennifer, when we're evaluating the environment for accidents and hazards, what are some of the concerns that the surveyors may look at? Well, they will look for things such as sharp items that have been left out, like, you know, bandage scissors or even uh, utensils, especially if it's in an area where you do might you may have some residents that become um, aggressive or they they have behaviors where they might hurt themselves or somebody else. So they need to be mindful about leaving sharp items out, um, having chemicals left out. And that could even include hand sanitizer. You don't want to have um, a bottle of hand sanitizer with a pump on the you know, kitchen table where they're eating because if somebody is confused, they don't know that that isn't something that they're supposed to put on their food. So things like that need to be, um, they need to be mindful of that. Looking for um, torn carpet that could pose as a trip hazard or cords that are strung across walkways. Instead of um, plugging in the vacuum against the wall on the side that you're vacuuming, you know, having it plugged in and then stretched across the hallway while you're vacuuming in a room. Those are trip hazards, and, and those are things that need to be uh, looked at. Um, having fire doors that have been propped open or items stacked too high that might impede the sprinkler system. Um, disabling locks and also unsafe water temperatures is something that, that they look at. And this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, but it does give an idea of what is looked at. And, you know, talking about those water temperatures, back when I was um, – you know, working with a team doing state surveys, our team leader actually ended up writing an IJ because when she went to wash her hands as we were leaving the building, the water burned her. And oh so, yes, so the exit ended basically and we went back in and um, she wrote an IJ because when they did a system-wide uh, check of the temperatures, the water temperatures, it showed that it was way above the acceptable level. And so you just never know. So everything is vital to, to check and double check. So, you know, if you're in charge of water temperature, check those water temperatures regularly. Make sure that something hasn't malfunctioned and made the, the increase in water temperature. Well, and the last thing we want to do is cause harm to our residents or a surveyor at that. At that yes. Also, right. Absolutely. <laughs> So yes. <laughs> um, we, we talk a lot about resident choice, and I think it's worth mentioning here that according to the Psalm, the facility does have a responsibility to educate the residents, family, and staff regarding significant risks related to resident choices. When a resident choice poses some risk, staff should work with the resident to understand the reasons for the choice and discuss options for the facility to honor that choice. So for example, a resident may express a desire to use a cane instead of a walker or a wheelchair in order to maintain their own dignity and self-esteem. The preference should be discussed to review the potential positive and negative consequences of possible course of action, you know, including any potential negative consequences that may result from preventing that choice. 
And what they should do is find ways to develop a care plan to which the staff can honor that choice while mitigating risks. Absolutely. And sometimes a resident's choice can pose a huge risk. And we just have to make sure that we are keeping the resident and the resident's representatives informed of those risks. And as we've said in the past, document, 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 absolutely write down everything. Yeah. And, you know, we we know that the biggest concern with accidents and hazards is falls and falls with injury. So um, what factors may result in a resident fall? Well, um, the psalm lists several, actually. And, um, and again, you know, we always refer back to that psalm, but it is just a, a you know, a, like you said, the open book test. You know, you can get everything there. And the psalm, you know, when it lists several things, it includes environmental hazards such as wet floors and not putting those wet floor signs out, poor lighting and poorly maintained wheelchairs, unsafe footwear or, you know, Residents who aren't wearing any footwear at all, uh, medication side effects, balance disorders, visual de uh, deficits, pain, and even incontinence. And we know that older um, individuals have a high incidence of falls and high um, they're they're open to injuries from those falls. Also, them they could have serious potential consequences. Um, not you know not just injuries, but they could have um, continual pain and even death from from a fall. Yes, absolutely. And it should be said that not all falls um, indicate a uh, deficient practice. You know, falls do happen, and the, it, it can happen when the facility has done everything that they can think of to try to prevent them. Again, you know, sometimes the resident choices um, have an effect on that. And, you know, this is where it gets vital. Like you said, you know, you can have physical injuries and even death that can occur from a fall. So they need to be mindful of those consequences if their choices are contraindicated, you know, by, you know, what would be safe for them. Well, and you know, what we're seeing, Jennifer, is we're seeing a lot of communities moving away from the use of position-changing alarms. Um, studies have shown that facilities who've, who've become alarm-free and replaced them with interventions, um, with more checks and proactively meeting the needs of the resident, has actually lowered the number of falls. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, you know, it's like I always say when I'm discussing alarms, especially when I'm talking to you know, different uh, communities, you know, alarms do not prevent falls. They just alert you to the fact that the fall has already happened. And, and one of the analogies I always like to say, it's kind of like the smoke detector in your kitchen. It doesn't prevent the cookies from burning. It just tells you that your toll house cookies are charcoal now. So <laughs> you have so to, true. you know, you just have to look at it that way, that it's really not helping anything. And as you said, studies have shown that being more proactive is actually the better intervention. Yeah, yeah, that that's a that's a good comparison there. So, um, so you know, going back to that psalm, um, the psalm also details um, information on elopement, 
the water temperature, including that time and temperature range relationship for, you know, for someone to get a serious burn. Um, it details electrical safety, um, really right down to what, what extension cords um, should be used um, and maybe the shortage of outlets. It goes into bad lighting, assistive devices. So it's really important, um, again, with this F-tag, with F-689, to go back and look at that SOM and make sure that, uh, that you re reviewed all of those environmental areas. Absolutely. I mean, there is an abundance of information at your disposal, and especially under 689. It would, you know, it would be a, literally, I think, an all-day class just on this, um, this uh, F-tag alone because of so many things. So, you know, if you do have concerns about water temperature or, you know, what um, uh, extension cords you may or may not use or, or uh, elopement, they have all kinds of good, abundant information at your disposal. Wonderful. So before we wrap up FTAG 689, can you describe the key elements of noncompliance for us? Absolutely. Um, in order to cite a deficiency of F-689, the surveyors must find that the facility failed to do one or more of the following. Um, if they failed to identify and eliminate all known and foreseeable accident hazards in the resident's environment to the extent possible, um, or if they failed to the extent possible to reduce the risk of all known or foreseeable accident hazards that cannot be eliminated, or if they fail to provide appropriate or sufficient supervision to each resident to prevent an avoidable accident or provide assistance devices necessary to prevent an avoidable accident from occurring. And, um, you know, again, they look at those interpretive guidelines to determine if the facility is in compliance. And as we've discussed before, you know, there's a critical pathway that goes along with this too, and it's the accident critical pathway. And if you know, our listeners could, you know, ask their nurse consultants or, or look that pathway up. That will tell you what they're looking at, and it will go a long way to helping you be prepared and to have your community ready to go. That's good advice. Good advice. So, so I want to thank you all for joining us today as we continue our podcast series outlining the new F tags and the added regulations with the final rule. I hope that our discussion today was beneficial and we're going to continue to explore those 49 substantial, substandard quality of care F tags. Um, so thank you, Jennifer, as usual. And what will we be looking at next? Uh, Laura, thank you very much for having me again. Um, our next podcast when we get together will be F690, um, Bowel and Bladder Incontinence, Catheters, and UTIs. Wonderful. Thank you. That's all the time we have today. We hope you'll join us again. Legal Disclaimer. Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.